This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the, hey Marge, did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Running a growing business means getting the insights you need wherever you are. With Shopify's single dashboard, you can manage orders, shipping, and payments from anywhere. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ifanboy, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash ifanboy now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash ifanboy. You are listening to iFanboy's Talksplode. I am Josh Flanagan from iFanboy.com. Talksplode is our creator interview show, and today we sat down with writer Matthew Sturgis of Vertigo and DC Comics. I am here with Matthew Sturgis, co-writer of Jack of Fables and House of Mystery and the upcoming run and uh, the book. Many things. There's many in the upcoming JSA. There's there's too many things to keep track of. How you doing, Matt? I'm doing great. Very good. Um, one of the reasons that I, I wanted to talk to you was because it was just announced that you and Bill Willingham are going to be doing um, Justice Society of America. And I thought, well, you are you are an up-and-comer. Uh, yeah, maybe that officially makes me an up-and-comer. It's like uh, official now. <laughs> um, well, let me actually go back and we'll start sort of at the beginning. Um, when I'm, I'm looking up things, the first thing that I see that has anything to do with you is, is uh, Clockwork Storybook. So can you tell me about what that is? Uh, yeah, Clockwork Storybook was a thing that started about 10 years ago. Um, and when I first moved back to Austin after uh, – several years sojourn in uh in california trying to make it as a musician which is a whole other story um i was hanging out at our local comic shop austin books which is a fine comic shop and everyone should go there um and uh bill willingham happened to be living in austin at the time and uh, i had some friends chris robertson and mark finn who were both writers as well and we all decided to start a writing group together and basically we were just going to get together once a week and write things and read them to each other and critique them. And that sort of grew into this shared world anthology thing that we did online. And then we started a a small press publishing business out of that. And then it got out of control and we all split up. And um, and sort of that was that. And we kind of all went our separate ways. Uh, And it was several years after that that uh, I got a phone call from Bill Willingham saying that uh, Vertigo 
was looking for new writers to pitch things to them, and, and was I interested in, in pitching to Vertigo? And you know, of course, I said yes. And so that, that was the beginning of an arduous process that ultimately led to me getting the job writing Jack of Fables. Well, I mean, let me, so were you a longtime comic book reader, and it just happened that you were hanging out in the shop, and, and this stuff worked out? Um, well, it's funny. I didn't grow up reading comics. Uh-huh. Um, I, where I lived uh, as a kid was a small town in West Virginia where you couldn't get comics. Uh, there was no comic shops, and there was one drugstore that had a spinner rack. But as far as I know, it was the same two copies of Spider-Man and one copy of Hulk that was there my entire childhood, and I'd already read all three of them. So um, I didn't really start getting into comics until I got to college and I met Chris Robertson, uh, who was in Clockwork Storybook and also now happens to be writing uh, the new Cinderella Fables miniseries. Okay. Uh, so you can see how incestuous this all is. Um, but uh, uh, he was the one that really kind of got me into comics, and he was the one who sort of said, here, you should read Sandman, this is good. Here, you should read Watchmen, this is good. Um, and just sort of started me rolling in, in comics. And from there, I just kind of went nuts and started reading everything I could get my hands on. Around what time was that? I'm just wondering what books and stuff were coming out when you started reading. Well, this was in the late 80s. So this was, you know, during the sort of British invasion of the late 80s. And right. so all, all of my favorite things were, you know, it was like uh, Shade the Changing Man and it was uh, Black Orchid and, uh, you know, Grant Morrison's Doom Patrol and Animal Man and stuff like that. So <laughs> we do you stick with comics throughout the next like did you drop out at any point during the 90s? I did, like many people, yeah. I did drop out, drop out for a while in, in the 90s. I think it was when, uh, when Pete Baggs stopped publishing Hate. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was like the last comic that I was reading. And so then I was like, screw it. I'm not going back to the comic shop anymore. Um, and so, I, yeah, I did take a break until about 2000. So what pulled you back in? Um, that's a good question. I think... Um, I think I just wanted to start reading comics again, and I'm trying to think of what were the, the really good things that were coming out then. I think it was probably Hellboy mm-hmm. that, that snagged me back, and I thought, well, if this is out there, then there's probably other good stuff out there too. Yeah, 2000 was a great time. It was just that, that renaissance of everything coming back to being really good. Yes. Um, now, you're known uh, initially sort of as, as the writing partner of Bill Willingham. Um, right. Which, uh, so, so how does that process work for the most part with, with you two? Um, well, it's interesting because when I came on to write Jack of Fables, uh, obviously I'd never written a comic book before. And so I got the Bill Willingham crash course in writing comic books, um, which was great. It was sort of like, you know, learn while doing on the job training, but it was also, you know, really painful because, you know, Bill, you know, demands a certain level of quality and things that have his name on them. And so, you know, just like in the Clockwork Storybook days, you know, the b- initial critiques were fairly brutal. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, and you know, I made every possible mistake that a beginning comic book writer can, can make. Uh, and luckily for me, a lot of those were excised from my scripts before even the editors saw them. So I was really lucky in that regard. But as for our, our writing process, it's kind of evolved over the years um, now that I've kind of found my own voice and, and learned to do things my own way. But essentially, you know, with, with Jack of Fables, and it varies from project to project, but with Jack of Fables, we've reached the point now where we kind of trade off storylines, taking the lead in scripting, 
And, you know, we'll get on the phone and talk for a few hours about what we want a particular story to be and things that will be funny to happen in that and uh, funny little names for Babe the Ox to call himself. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then one or the other of us will just kind of take it and run with it from there. You had, prior to writing comics, you'd written uh, mostly like short stories and things like that in prose? I'd written a novel and uh, a few short stories. I, I'd written millions of short stories that have never seen the light of day, and, and, and thank God. But yeah, I'd had published a few short stories, uh, and I'd written a novel, which is now actually going to be published. Uh, it's coming out in March. Yeah, midwinter. Midwinter, yes. Yeah. I have a question about that later, and I will come back to it. Um, okay. Now, when you when you sort of first started out on, on Jack of Fables, and you and you're doing comics for the first time, I mean, what what sort of were the surprisingly difficult things that there were about writing comics as opposed to prose? I guess the scripting of it, or oh boy, I, the the two things that that really nailed me at first, that really sort of threw me off completely, was one the uh, the twenty two page stricture um because uh you know a monthly comic is an extremely structured format uh and because of the length and space requirements you have to tell stories in a few certain kinds of ways you know um because there are certain beats that need to be in a story to make it compelling and rewarding and, you know, an issue that is part of an ongoing story kind of needs to end on a, a good beat or a cliffhanging beat. And so sort of wrapping my mind around all of that, uh, because as a writer, 22 pages of an average of five panels a page uh, is a lot to hold in your head all at once, especially if you're, if you're not entirely comfortable in the medium. So that was really difficult. And then also understanding how to pace a story in comics and learning the, the mechanics of, you know, how a large panel paces versus a small panel versus how much, you know, if I have a lot of dialogue in this panel, um, you know, all these little things that, you know, you don't really think about when you're reading comics over the years, you know, these things just kind of come naturally to you as a reader, you experience them. Then you sit down and try to write it, you realize that it's actually kind of complicated, you know, and your job is to make it look easy, mm-hmm. which is not it's funny because there's, there's all these things you don't think about when you're when you're putting those panels together do you feel like you have a good handle on it now i'm getting better at it um i mean a lot of times i still feel like a, a rank amateur but i think it, at this point i i at least know how to put together a 22 page comic book uh and you know even at my very worst I think it's competent, you know, and every now and again, I do something where I look at it and I go, yeah, that, that's actually pretty good. Mm-hmm. So say that you, you, you have to start a new 22 page comic book. Like, like, where do you actually start with that? Do you, do you have an idea? Do you outline out what the pages are going to be or, or do you just sort of start scripting? Yeah, I've, I've developed a process, you know, so many people do it so many different ways. And, you know, guys who've been doing it for years, like uh, I read an interview with Alan Moore where he says he just sits down and starts typing and that just blows my mind. For, I mean, for I, I days to, and days at a time. <laughs> yeah, but you have to be Alan Moore, I think, to do that. Uh, and I'm not. So uh, I have, you know, kind of my process that involves outlines and word documents and, uh, you know, it, it gets pretty, uh, pretty labor intensive for me, but I kind of have to do it in order to make things come out the way I want to, mm-hmm. because otherwise I'll, it, it always happened to me. I would end up writing, you know, 30 pages worth of comic and then try and stuff it into 
22 pages. So like the last three pages will be like eight panels a page. <laughs> and uh, that just is not a good thing. Was that was that a habit that you had to get out of trying to put in too much stuff on one page? Yeah, exactly. The 22 pages seems like a lot until you start writing it. And then you realize that it's really not as much as you as you might think. Um, so you have to really, you know, limit uh, what you're putting in there. Uh, so to make sure that you give the artist room to tell the story that they need to tell. Mm-hmm. So uh, this sort of last year or so for you has been has been fairly momentous. I mean, as far as I understand, like you're 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 DC exclusive now. You're, you're writing comics full time. You've got a bunch of series going on. Can you just what's this last year been like for you? Uh, it, it's been really weird. You know, I I am have been a, a lifelong pessimist and and have you know had you know hopes dashed in so many different ways that, uh, you know, I keep expecting, you know, someone to call me up and say, you know, ah, just kidding, you know, uh, you're fired. Um, and so far that hasn't happened. So, you know, I kind of keep holding my breath thinking that at any point it's all going to crumble, uh, you know, and I'm going to have to go, uh, you know, work at Starbucks. But so, so far it hasn't happened. Um, but just in case, I do a lot of my writing at Starbucks, and I know all the people that work there, so I'm pretty sure I could get a job if I needed one. Good call. Good call. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it, like, was there a point where you kind of realized that this had been this whole process had been taking on speed, and you're like, my God, this might actually work out? Yeah, there was a moment that when I first got the call to to complete Salvation Run after uh, Bill Willingham took ill. Um, it was kind of momentous for me because I get this call from Dan DiDio out of the blue who I've never spoken to in my life, and it's like, Dan DiDio, you know? And so he's, you know, saying, hey, you know, how would you like to do this? You know, do you think you could jump in and write this issue? And I said, well, sure, of course I can do anything, you know? Just tell me what you want. Yes, absolutely. And he's like, okay, great, you know? And uh, I'll have Joey send you the stuff. So Joey Cavallari sends me a list of characters, which is this Excel spreadsheet with 108 names on it. <laughs> and um, and here's like the, the, the basic plot structure. And, uh, you know, it's Thursday. Can you have it to us by Monday? You know, and so I'm, I'm looking at this list and, and I'm going, OK, well, I know who that is. You know, I know who General Immortus is. But who's Tapeworm? You know, and who's this guy? And I don't know who that is. And I'm just kind of going through like, oh, God, what have I gotten myself into? Um, And so, but essentially I stayed up for four days doing this thing, uh, you know, because I was so eager to make a good impression. And um, I turned the thing in and, and they liked it. And so... When I was at Wizard World Texas the next uh, few months later, I ran into Dan DiDio and he, I, we'd never met before. I didn't even know he knew who I was. And he, he runs up to me and throws his arms around me and he says, my savior, my savior. And I thought, okay, well, that's probably a good sign. Yeah. Well, I was, I was going to ask because, um, you know, you, that's a Salvation Run from is a very intensive DC universe kind of thing, you know, as, as, is, uh, you know, blue beetle or the or countdown to mystery and that kind of stuff. I mean, would you have considered like people identify themselves as a Marvel guy or a DC guy or like how much of that, that continuity did you, did you know, or did you have to force feed yourself? I suppose. Well, you know, I had read, uh, you know, a lot of the stuff in, in the late eighties and early nineties. And so I was familiar with 
the con, you know, I knew who everybody was and I knew all the basic relationships, but I hadn't been following the DC books for a couple of years. And so I had to do sort of like a crash course in, you know, what is going on in the DC universe. It was, it was kind of handy in that, you know, around that time it was, uh, you know, Infinite Crisis in 52. And so there's a lot of, you know, the overview of the DC universe was compressed into this very dense thing that you could go through and really get caught up quickly on. Um, and all that was very good, you know, uh, you know, reading Identity Crisis, I was like, hey, this is fantastic. You know, I know it wasn't, not everyone adored it, but I thought it was great. Oh, it was fantastic. And, They're wrong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Um, and uh, so I really, it was such a, a pleasant experience, you know, it was like getting back to know all of these people that I had sort of like, uh, you know, lost touch with mm -hmm. and... Uh, and so, so at first it was, you know, I spent, I was doing a lot of time going back and reading back issues and flipping through them and going to trade paperbacks. Okay, and go like, who's this? And reading, I need to reread this issue of JSA because I don't remember who Alex Montez is at first. And so, um, but now I, I you know, I, I've got a much better handle on things. <laughs> cool. Um, so let's talk a little about Jack of Fables. Um, you said it sort of just popped up one day. Bill, Bill called you and said they wanted to do a different thing. Um, so what were you thinking when that came up? Because it it sort of seems like an impossibility. Like it's a spinoff from a really popular book. Like it, it it you know by all rights shouldn't have been very good, but it is. It's its own book. You're going to year, year three now. Um, mm -hmm. Want to tell me a little bit about the whole thing? I guess you know how it came about was that um, there was an issue of Fables where Jack is essentially booted out and told that he can never come to Fabletown again. I'm sorry if I've spoiled that huge reveal to anyone who hasn't picked it up. It's been a long but, time. Yeah, and shame on you if you haven't read it by this point. So, uh, so, and it said at the very end of the story, and Jack was never seen in Fabletown again. Which I thought was and a really bold move. It was a very bold move because he was a popular character and people liked him. And so I think Shelley Bond, who's, who's our editor, uh, or who was editing the book Jack of Fables at the very beginning, mm -hmm was like, how, why did you do that? You know, what were you thinking? You know, he, he's a great character. And, you know, so they decided, well, maybe, you know, we could try a spinoff. What would that be like? And so he was the obvious candidate. And the by an odd serendipity, uh, one of the first things that I wrote for Vertigo was a, a spec script for an inventory script for Fables. Uh, that They said, well, let's give this guy a chance to see if he can actually write. Um, and then maybe we'll consider letting him write a series, um, which didn't happen for like three years. So it was kind of frustrating, but, um, but the, the story that I wrote was about Jack and it was penciled by Tony Akins, who's the penciler on Jack of Fables, which is a complete coincidence. Mm -hmm. And that story will never, ever see the light of day. And it's probably a good thing. But, um, I think that was kind of maybe the seed, uh, that said, Hey, you know, if, if I'm going to do this, uh, you know, Bill said, I don't want to do it on my own. I want to have a co-writer. And so Matt's probably the guy to do that. How long did it take before that book sort of found its voice? Because it's not the same book as Fables, which I think was actually to, to its credit. Because if it had been the same book, you know, I, I don't think it would have worked as well. I mean, how soon did you guys know what it was? Because it, it's a very unique book. It's all narrated by Jack, sort of, and he's such an mm -hmm. interesting character. Uh, you know, we kind of went very consciously, you know, we said we can't do Fables Light. We have to do something else, you know. It needs to be something different. And what what could we do? And you know, one of the things that, that Bill and I do when we talk on the phone and have always done is, uh, you know, uh, crack wise 
at each other and say inappropriate things and, and make inappropriate jokes. And so we thought, well, how can we channel this into a comic book? Because this is what we talk about anyway. So, you know, why not make money doing it? And um, so we thought, well, if we're going to take the Jack book, in order for Jack to be a good story, you know, Jack is ultimately kind of a buffoon. So it needs to be uh, sort of a larger than life story. It needs to be, uh, you know, overtly comedic, you know, with some elements of drama, but uh, it, it had to have a different tone from fables or it wasn't going to work. And so we knew that going into it and it just kind of evolved from there. Yeah. I mean, is the, is the book as much fun to write as it seems like? Oh yeah. Jack is the, is the most fun I have writing comics by far because you can pretty, it kind of writes itself. You know, we sit down and talk about, you know, what kind of things we want to have happen. And then, you know, one of us will call the upper, call the other up and say, Oh my, here's what has to happen. You know, Jack has to, you know, have sex with someone and then find out she's an ogre and blah, blah, blah. Cause that would be hilarious. And what's the worst possible thing we could do to Jack. Um, and, uh, and then things just kind of go from there. And so sitting down and writing those scripts, it's like, uh, you know, it's just kind of like taking a stroll through the park and writing down what you see. It's a, a lot of fun. Are there any like rules for Jack? I mean, like, is it like this must never happen in the book, or like Jack must never, you know, sure. be selfless? You know, there always has to be something like that. I just it seems like that kind of book. Like you have to make sure he does certain things so that to keep his character, or is that not? Yeah, the, there are certain things that we agreed on very early on. Was that Jack was never going to learn anything about <laughs> life or himself? That he was going to if he'd been this guy. For this long, there wasn't ever going to be any epiphany where he was like, oh, my God, I've been such a jerk and I need to, you know, I'm going to change my life. You know, no, because in, in Jack's mind, he is the hero of his own story and everything he does is, you know, by default, the right thing. So why would he change? There shall um, be no deeper meaning. There shall be no deeper meaning. Yeah. That was pretty clear from the start, and, and, and I like to think that, that we've done a very good job of making him never learn anything from his mistakes. That's awesome. Um, it must have been cool to find out that you have Brian Ballin doing your covers on that book. Yeah, because you know, at, at first we had James Jean doing the covers. Mm-hmm. And, I don't um, think there's anything wrong with him. Right, right. And so when James said that he was leaving the book, we were all like, oh, this is terrible. You know, we're never going to find anyone as good as James. And, and then our editor, Shelley, said, well, what about Brian Bolland? And we were like, yeah, right. Okay, whatever. Uh, sure, yeah, call Brian Bolland, and I'm sure he'll jump right on that. And Brian was like, yeah, that'd be great. I'd love to do that. So he <laughs> jumped right in and started doing these fantastic covers. And I sort of was losing my mind because this was Brian Ballin. I mean, this was the guy who did the covers for some of my favorite books mm-hmm. when I first started reading comics. And to go from so I, to go from James Jean to Brian Ballin is uh, you've you've known no sacrifice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like we 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 didn't have to trade down, which it seemed like you know we were going to have to do, but we we traded like sideways into another dimension and uh, and came out on top. It was really fantastic. Okay, so let's uh, switch gears a little and uh, tell me about House of Mystery. Where did that come from? It's sort of a, a I guess, a revamp of an of an older title, but it's it's like an all new thing. Um, where did it come from? Was it was it how much of it was you and how much was Bill? 
it came out of a conversation at a bar in San Diego. You know, they say that, uh, you know, in comics, a lot of the, the really important things happen at the bar in San Diego. And I, I never knew if that was really true, but apparently it is because that's where this idea sort of came up. I, you know, we were, were having dinner and, and Bill and Shelley had been talking over in the corner and, um, and then they walked up to me and said, what would you think about writing House of Mystery? And I was like, okay. So we walked you just back. just say to the- yes to everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, this, I'm at a point in my career where I'm, you know, I'm desperate to, you know, to write anything I could sure. possibly do. So if someone's going to say, do you want to write this? I'm going to say yes. But, uh, you know, the, the notion of writing House of Mystery was a very intriguing one because, there are a lot of different things that you could do with that, making it a Vertigo book. And so we sat down, and over the course of two, three hours, the three of us, me and Bill and Shelley, hashed out the basic idea of what would ultimately become the book. Now, while 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 Willingham's name is is on the cover, you are writing. Uh, it says that the main sort of thrust of the story. Yeah, um, and that kind of thing. So, so I mean, are are you basically at the helm of this book? Um, yeah, I'm definitely sort of the the steersman of, of the thing, and you know, ultimately the the framing story is something that Bill and I at the very beginning sort of laid down, you know, what we thought would be cool, and then I took that and kind of ran with it, uh, and of course, you know, I write the the framing story, uh, which is always illustrated by Luca Rossi, who's fantastically talented. Um, and I've been writing most of the short stories that come in, but anytime Bill wants to write one, he can. And, and of course, you know, uh, Bill being Bill, he can, you know, he can attract a guy like Bernie Wrightson to come illustrate a story, which is utterly fantastic. And so it's a real treat to be able to, to put those in whenever Bill can write one. Yeah, I was going to say, you've had some great artists on sort of the, the mini story portion of that book. Um, mm-hmm. From uh, the David Peterson pages stand up to me particularly. Um, oh yeah. Are the, I mean, are those things like are, are you? Are, are, do you get those like from Vertigo, or do you say I'd really like to see so and so on this, or or something like that? Well, you know, I'm always sending uh, wish lists to uh, our editor uh, Angela Rufino, um, saying, "Hey, wouldn't it be cool to work with this guy? Wouldn't it be cool to work with that guy?" You know. And I'll, I'll put names on there like, you know, Neil Adams and Gilbert Hernandez and, you know, all these different things and, you know, saying, OK, like in some universe, you know, this is going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and then sometimes it really does happen. And, and you know, I get I get kind of freaked out in uh, in issue 10. Kyle Baker is uh, illustrates the story that, that I wrote for that one. And Kyle Baker is someone I've been a fan of for zillions of ever since I, I read Why I Hate Saturn. It's one of my mm-hmm. favorite graphic novels of ever. And so the notion that Kyle Baker would draw something that I wrote just completely blew my mind. Um, and, and of course he did a fantastic job and it's, it's coming out next month and I'm, I'm thrilled. Um, but yeah, so we have, uh, there are artists that, you know, the folks at Vertigo, if, if there's someone who's very talented, who's looking for work, we'll try and, and work something out because, you know, there's a lot of really talented guys. We wanted to, and, and gals, we want it to be a mix of new and emerging talent and, you know, established folks, you know, we, we'd like it to be a showcase of a lot of different kinds of talent. Now, how does it feel to sort of work in that, I, it's sort of the gaming space, I guess. It's not exactly related to Sandman, but it is in a way. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, how, how close do you dare to tread to that stuff, or, or do you like to be involved with that whole universe of it? 
Yeah, I'd, I'd love to say that I'm not self-conscious about it, but of course I am. I mean, Sandman was a huge influence on me as, as a reader and, and as a writer. You know, Sandman was the, the book that my friends and I would sit around and obsess over uh, as it was coming out. You know, who's the seventh endless? You know, we'd just go on and on and on. And so, uh, you know, treading on that territory to me is a little intimidating, um, but also, you know, I, I take it seriously, you know, that I want to do respect to that. So that meant so much to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, uh, I want really want House of Mystery to be its its own thing. So, you know, we have cameos of, of things that come from that sort of game and verse, you know. Um, but that's, you know, hasn't been and never will be the focus of, of any story. It, it's funny because it seems to me like you, you just keep getting presented with these projects and, and, and it's like, this is scary, but the lesson I'm learning from you is just just go with it. You'll be fine. And you seem to be doing really well with it. I mean, it's it's interesting. Like, it seems like so much to be coming at you to be comfortable with all of a sudden. And then, all, you know, you're a DC exclusive writer and everything. And it what a weird I mean, what a weird place to be at from where you started just a little while ago. Yeah, I know. I, I think, you know, part of it has been my attitude of, you know, saying I can do this. You know, even if I'm not totally sure that I can do it, mm-hmm. you know, I always assume that I'll figure it out along the way. That's kind of what I've done all my life, you know. And when I first, uh, my previous job was as a software developer, uh, and it, because I thought it would be a good idea to be a so I had no skills or, or talent doing that. I didn't know the first thing about it, but I applied for a job and I lied and I said I could do it. And I figured, oh, I could probably figure it out as I go. And um, I managed to scam them, so... Um, so I apparently have this innate talent to do very well under extreme pressure, uh, in situations where I'm terrified that I might fail. You just described for me my nightmare scenario. So like, but, but on the other side of that, it must've felt really, really good to quit that job. Yeah, it really did. <laughs> How long have you been writing full time? Um, uh, gosh, since, um, Almost two years. Oh wow! Uh, since, and uh, you know, it's 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 been very good. You know, my wife and I kind of crossed our fingers and took that leap and said, you know, uh, I you know this could all end tomorrow. I mean, I could you know the series could get canceled and they might never offer me another one. And then what the hell am I going to do? Um, and you know, there there have been a couple of months where the stars didn't align correctly and and we didn't make very much money. But uh, as, as time has gone on and, and I've been getting more work, things have, have you know, and now I kind of have the opposite problem, which is, you know, trying to get everything done on time, which is a much, much better problem to have. Have you gotten better at the, I guess, the sort of juggling of the whole thing? Because at first it's like, you're, you know, your own boss, you have to deal with when, how you spend your own time and stuff like that. Do you have a fairly regimented schedule of when you write and how you do it? I do, but I'm, I'm kind of a disorganized person in, in general. And, so, you know, I, I, I know people who are extremely, you know, regimented in terms of, you know, I get up at this time and I write from X until X30 and then, you know, and then I'm done. And I, I even know someone, and I won't name him, but who actually has a, a spreadsheet that tells him exactly how many words he needs to write in a given day, which to me would drive me totally insane. Um, so I, you know, I have days where I, I lie completely fallow and, and I just lay on the ground and, and stare and think about stories. And, and I have days where I spend, you know, very 
uh, calmly outlining and doing things. And then I have days where I just sit down and type furiously. And it, it kind of goes through, through cycles. But somehow it all kind of seems to work. But um, I'm not creatively that organized to where I can have a set schedule and do things like that. Sorry, is it, are you, uh, I think I talked to Rick Remender once and he described it as the fear of being uh, a freelance writer where you just start taking on tons and tons of projects. Are you sort of in the midst of that? Because I feel you like know, you, have a, you have four books or so going on right now, at least. I do have a lot of things and, and a lot of it, yeah, comes from the fear of, you know, one of these will probably, one of these could dry up at any second and then what, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, I actually, I actually was in a situation where uh, I had, completely overcommitted myself and I had uh, uh, taken on this book for Virgin Comics uh, and I had no idea how I was possibly going to write the book and uh, and I was totally freaking out and then well you know yeah. what happened to Virgin Comics so I <laughs> so the, the bullet Phew. dodged me <laughs> yeah, yeah. thank god wow. they folded <laughs> I was probably the only person who was re- extremely relieved that that happened um uh, so you uh, you have a project coming up uh, with Freddie Williams' run, which all I know about it is that there's a villain and it's DC. Is there yeah. anything else that can be told about that? Well, you know, they're they're so hush hush uh, at DC, you know, and they kind of imply that you know that if you if you say too much, that like you know Jimmy Palmiotti is going to come to your house and break your kneecaps, and so I, you know I uh, I've been given the party line as to what I can say, so. Uh, but basically, you know, there's this character in Final Crisis that I can't say who he is, um, but he's a total loser. And the the basic concept of Run is what could happen to make someone who is a complete loser become one of the most powerful supervillains of all time. And it is an utterly intense, very violent, very crazy uh, it's like uh, it's definitely more Jack of Fables than uh, Blue Beetle. You know, you know the Blue Beetle headspace that I write in is, um, you know, sort of like I'm thinking of honoring a legacy character and writing a book that uh, that I could very happily give to someone who's in middle school and say, you know, read this and and hopefully, you know, there's something of value, something of, of merit in this. Uh, whereas with uh, writing a book like Jack of Fables or like Run, the the whole intent is just to uh, uh, you know have the reader go, "Holy crap! Did I just read that? <laughs> did they really do what I think they just did?" and and uh, have as much fun as possible doing it. And so far, it's just been a good, total blast. I mean, the the folks at DC have been really supportive in terms of you know what they'll let me get away with because I have the sort. Coming from this vertigo mentality, you know, uh, you know, my whole thing is like, you know, well, you know, how many hookers can we kill in this? And they're like, whoa, 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 buddy, back off. We don't do that kind of thing here. And I'm like, okay, well, what if it's just one? You know, I, we just do one. And they're like, well, I didn't, let me talk to Dan and get back to you. <laughs> so you used to compete with Brian Azzarello, and it's not the same. <laughs> That's I understand that. That's totally fine. yeah. It's it's not the same thing at all. Um, and, and so the the big announcement that was uh, kind of hidden over the Christmas holiday was that uh, you and uh, Bill are going to be doing Justice Society of America. That's yes, a, that's a big deal. That's pretty big. Yeah, that's <laughs> almost as big as they come. Um, and you know, God knows, you know, no one was more surprised than me to to get tapped for that. I, I think that you know people know that that Bill Willingham and I work very well together, and that we complement each other in a lot of ways. 
And so I think, you know, having a, a book like JSA, where it's a combination of, of legacy characters and, and much younger people uh, with a, a very large cast of characters, it kind of made sense to, to get me and Bill to do it because we're two people with different sensibilities, uh, but who, who like a lot of the same things. And um, I think, you know, together we make a very compelling JSA. Now, had you been reading it all along with, with Jeff Johns's run? Oh, yeah. 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 Um, I'd been a, a huge fan, um, and I had been reading the, um, you know, coming out of, of Starman and reading uh, uh, Goyer and, and Johns's run, uh, you know, from the beginning and just loving it, loving it the whole time and just thinking this is just a fantastic book. And gosh, wouldn't it be great to write this book someday? You know, in, in the same way that you think like, gosh, you know, wouldn't it be fun to fly to the moon someday, you know? Um, so then, you know, to get the opportunity to actually write those characters in, in that book is just, you know, huge. It's just a, a giant thing for me. And so I was going back and, and reading, rereading all of, of John's run over the past few weeks, you know, uh, to get geared up for it and, and just sort of being blown away all over again. So there, there are big shoes to fill. And, and the only way I think to, to do that is to kick those shoes to the side and, and, you know, put our own shoes down and, and write the best book that we can write. Now, will you be keeping the number of members on the team in the 40s or 50s? Or <laughs> uh, will you plan to add more? The editorial mandate is 106. <laughs> um, and, you know, Two we're doing our from best. from the sacred number. Okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, as in we're doing our best to work up to that. But it's, it's going to be slow. Um, no, it, it's... it's uh, the composition of the team and what's going to happen to the team is something that will be uh, a very explosive thing in our our first arc, and and you're definitely going to see some some big changes. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think there there are going to be changes that that people are really going to like. What are what are the I guess the sort of elements of of the prior issues that that you'd want to keep. Um, that sort of makes that book work. What is it like? The kind of things that you guys think about, like this is this is what's good about the JSA. Uh, what to me is is so wonderful about the JSA, and and I think you know going back to the things that that Roy Thomas was doing, um, and up to Jeff Johns, who who really took that that spirit and and ran with it in his own way, was that what was central to the the book was always the characters and the respect that the book has for the characters in the sense that, you know, Jay Garrick and Alan Scott and Ted Grant are heroes and the book presents them as heroes and not just uh, people who go out and fight bad guys, but who are decent people and who, you know, see it as their commitment to not just go out and, and beat up, you know, funny looking guys in costumes, but also to, nurture the next generation and so the best parts of, of John's uh, run are the the character moments the the and the character building that he did um, and showing who these people are as people and not just as uh, you know icons that go around hitting things which that's in, what in an amazingly economic space it, it was amazing because all those characters and things you got to know wildcat a little bit and you got to know you know our man and, and his relationship and stuff like that that was one of the things i liked about it a, a, a lot i get who were some of the who were some of the characters who really spoke to you from from out of the, that group 
Um, well, one of my, my favorite characters has always been uh, <laughs> Dr. Midnight, mm-hmm. because I think he's just an utterly fascinating character and uh, who, who needs to have more stuff done with him. And um, so that was the, the main reason that I, I put him in an issue of Blue Beetle was just because I liked him a lot. And so I was like, how can I put uh, Dr. Midnight in an issue of Blue Beetle? That's how I approached that. Um, and so he's something uh, – Power Girl is a character I've always wanted to write – I think she's fantastic. Who else? Some of the some of the newer characters that that Jeff has created uh, for the this latest run, I think, have been are really interesting and and can't wait to kind of flesh out more. But I guess my my favorite of all those characters is probably Star Girl, mm-hmm. just because she's such a, a a great combination of of innocence and sassiness and you know butt kickingness. Uh, she's just a very well realized character who's just a, a lot of fun to read and uh, as I'm now discovering fun to write um are you, are you now you have I guess a great affection for uh, for Jamie Reyes also having written him for a while are you, are you gonna be sad to see him his book go or are you gonna try to bring him into JSA sometime well you know I uh, a few weeks ago I just you know finished writing the the final issue of Blue Beetle mm-hmm. and uh, it, it is you know it's kind of an emotional issue and it was emotional for me writing it. And, and when I sent the script in, I was really genuinely very sad to see it go. Um, because I did, I love the, the book. It, the book, when John Rogers was writing it, was one of my favorite, if not my favorite books that came out monthly. And so uh, I was really thrilled to, to get a chance to, to put my stamp on it. And I think I did a pretty good job, too, which was great. You know, I, I feel like I didn't mess it up. Um, so to yes, yeah, so to kind of let that book go was hard for me personally, and then to to know that this fantastic supporting cast is probably not going to be featured anywhere, at least not in the near future, is you know kind of sad because they're so, such great characters. Yeah, I hear a lot of it's one of those books that I think that people really connect to. It's just there's not that many of them. Yeah, yeah, it's a book that that appeals to a certain type of reader mm-hmm. but that type of reader really likes it uh and that's and that's very rewarding because you know even though you know according to the numbers there are only twelve thousand people reading blue beetle um i get so many more emails and uh you know stopped at conventions to talk about blue beetle than i do everything else i write combined and yet Spider Girl goes on. I don't know. <laughs> How do they do that? It, it's a it's an imperfect world. Uh, <laughs> there's nothing there's nothing we can do about that. Um and then finally in, in March you have uh your book Midwinter coming out. Um, yes. which is I guess a, a totally different set of muscles for you to be to be writing that kind of thing. Um, yes. Also, uh, can you tell us what that is? And, and uh, do you think people who've, who've liked your comic work are, are going to be into it? I think so. You know, I, I have had a consistent style over the years, which is that, you know, I, I like to write stories that are very character driven and have a lot of dramatic elements, but at the same time, don't take themselves too seriously. Um, and that's something that I've always done. And, and that's something that I think is what makes Midwinter special in that it is, um, in some ways, it's, you know, it's standard epic fantasy. And, and people who like epic fantasy, you know, uh, will be comfortable reading this book. You know, they're not going to read anything and go, whoa, this is so <laughs> not what I was expecting. 
Um, but in some ways, it is because it doesn't take itself so seriously, and there are, there are moments of genuine comedy, and that's very very intentional for the book. But I, I like to think, and this is something that, that Willingham and I have talked about a lot, is that you know drama becomes more dramatic if it's leavened by lightheartedness, um, because that's how how life is. And so to be able to project that into your fiction, I think, is, is part of what makes the best fiction so good. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's something that, that I've always cared about and, and tried to do in my own work. Um, but essentially, to, to answer the question, I, I answered some other question. To, to answer the question, uh, Midwinter, the, the sort of like the tagline that I give people is that it's uh, the Dirty Dozen with Elves. Uh, and it's about a, a group of prisoners who are released from a prison in the fairy world uh, to go on a very dangerous and suicidal mission. And if they survive, then they'll be pardoned. And it's the story of how they approach that mission and what they do uh, when uh, a, a full on war starts in the midst of their secret mission and how they deal with that. Um, and there's a lot of fun and interesting stuff that happens along the way. It's interesting that in a, in a sort of world where you're writing uh, books like that and things like Jack of Fable and House of Mysteries, that, that the book called Blue Beetle seems to be the most grounded in reality. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, about a teenage superhero. That's yeah. kind of weird. It's, it's yeah. pretty basic that way. Um, <laughs> so I guess, l- you know, looking back over the sort of the, the work that you've amassed in all this time, what, what are some of the, the things that you're the most proud of, the things you look at and you go, wow, that's, that was sort of a high point for, for you personally and creatively? Well, it's so much easier to say the things that I'm least proud of, but I, I won't. Uh, I won't yeah, say what I'm interested are. in. That. <laughs> uh, I, well, you know, I don't know because some of them are about to be released in trade paperback, <laughs> so I don't <laughs> want to discourage people from 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 reading them, um, uh, or at least buying them. I, yeah. Maybe you buy them but don't read them, or give them, buy them and then give them to someone you don't like. I don't know. We'll just uh, move but this on. Is, I'm sorry. <laughs> There, there are a couple of things that, I, that I'm very proud of. Um, the Americana arc of Jack of Fables, which was the, the, the trade paperback that just came out, was one that, that I had taken the lead on. And it was, the, I think, one of the first stories that I wrote that really hung together well as a story uh, and that also had a lot of fun stuff in it. And there's one issue in particular where they're just kind of running around this uh, American fable land and mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's, it has some really great comedic moments and it was something that came out exactly the way that I, I'd hoped it would. Um, and there are a couple of things in, in house of mystery the, the, the first house of mystery trade comes out next week. Um, and I just got an advanced copy of it and I, I read it yesterday and there are a few points where I stopped and said, wow, you know, that's actually pretty good. You know, I kind of surprised myself. And that's always a great feeling as a writer to go back and read something that you've done and 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 feel good about it. Well, I can't think of a better place to stop than that because I could be like, now what did you hate? But I don't <laughs> want to do that. All right. Well, thank you very much. And uh, you've got a lot of stuff out there, so keep an eye out for I guess the the House of Mystery trade next next week. You said mm-hmm. that's um, right. And then um, all sorts of midwinter things. midwinter in March and uh, JSA starts up. Uh, sometime in the middle of next year, and your last chance to read Blue Beetle is in February, I think. So keep an eye out for it. And and Jack of Jack and House of Mystery come out regularly, very regularly. Good work with that, they by the way. Keep on going, yeah. Monthly, monthly in, is in uh, comics. Yeah. It becomes simpler <laughs> when you do what you were supposed to. Isn't that sad? Yeah. If your book comes out regularly, man, that is amazing. But yeah, we we do the best we can. 
All right, good stuff. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. I want to thank Matthew Sturgis again for spending so much time talking to us about his comic book work. And you can get over to ifanboy.com for more content like our audio and video shows, which come out very regularly, and new written content every single day. And if you need anything, you can write to contact at ifanboy.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you later. Mm-hmm.